Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Our Bible readings for today are Exodus 20, 1 through 17 and Mark 10, 17 through 31. Reading from Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And from Mark 10:17 through 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? Is it easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home, or brothers or sisters, or mother or father, or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you at Online Church. Uh, Jacko, or Simon, lead pastor of City Light Church, North Adelaide. We are starting a brand new series uh, of Bible talks um, over the next 11 weeks, actually. We're going to drop one in here at the beginning. Uh, So um, 11 weeks uh, looking at the Ten Commandments, um, launching out of Exodus chapter 20 uh, for the next little while as we explore um, our relationship to 
the ten words or the, uh, the ten commandments uh, for, uh, that God gave to his people many, many, many years ago. Um, I remember about uh, six years ago, I was in Bangalore uh, in India. I was with a team. We were teaching the Bible to pastors. And on one afternoon, um, a few of us just decided to, to walk down the street in Bangalore and uh, share the good news of Jesus by doing some door knocking in an apartment block. Um, you might know um, lots of people in India are Hindu people. Uh, so we, we walked up to a door, um, a lady came to the door and she invited us in. And as I walked in the door, uh, there was this huge picture of Jesus up on the wall. And uh, anyway, we sat down and I got talking and I said, hey, I've got a question for you. Um, if you died tonight uh, and you um, stood before God and, and he said to you, on what basis should I let you into heaven? Um, on what, but what would the basis be? How would you answer that question? And she said to me, uh, she said, well, I've kept the Ten Commandments. I've kept the Ten Commandments. And on, uh, basically what she was saying was, I've been good. I've been good enough. And I guess the question is, is that good enough? Uh, is that good enough? Um, as we open up uh, this part of God's word, uh, as we explore the Ten Commandments, is that all you need to do? Keep the Ten Commandments and you're right with God. Uh, we're going to explore that and many other questions over the next little while. So let's pray and ask God to help us this morning understand his word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. And we pray now as we uh, open up your word this morning and prepare to explore a particular part of your word for the next little while, we just pray this morning that you would still our hearts um, yeah, Father, soften our hearts so we might hear you speak to us this morning by your word and through your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Ten Commandments, right, they would have to be the most famous, perhaps the most well-known, one of the most well-known texts in all of history. Um, Well-known, well perhaps, is a stretch, but at least people would be familiar with the Ten Commandments. Um, we may not know what's in it. I don't know. When you think of the Ten Commandments, can you list off all Ten Commandments in order? I'm not going to ask you to do that right now in the comments below, but could you do that? Pretty much everyone, right, has heard of the Ten Commandments. I surveyed the little city the other day where, I, where we have our church office. Um, Ten out of 11 people have a pretty good idea at least of what they are, where you can find them. Um, Everyone knows the concept, right? So much so that the internet is awash, right, with alternative versions. Even God's favourite atheist, Richard Dawkins, has his Ten Commandments, and he gives you a bonus four if you're interested to know. And the content of the Ten Commandments has really very much shaped our culture and our heritage, at least in the West. So whether you identify as a Christian or you're not yet a Christian, I'm sure because of our familiarity with these Ten Commandments, you'll have ideas or at least some questions. I mean, can you really shape your modern moral framework around the Ten Commandments? Can you live in the modern world out there um, based on an ancient book like this? You know, really? I mean, is that even sensible to do? You know, of all the laws you could pick from around the world, are these really the ten best ones we got? I mean, these really exist God's top ten. More than that, does this moral framework, this way of living, even work? Follow this set of ten and life will go well for you. I mean, are you sure? Will these lead me to a full and flourishing life or will it just simply kind of restrain me and restrict my freedom? 
Maybe we wonder, I don't know, if I live this way, it'll bring me closer to God. I really want to be closer to God and and maybe by keeping these, I will be. Maybe you're wondering, hey, but those Ten Commandments, right, they belong in the Old Testament. I'm in the New Testament, right? Do they even apply to me? I think the biggest issue, right, for us basically, though, is this. If I live this way, is this life to the full Or is this a pathway to a restricted, narrow, joy-limited life? Or is this the pathway to the good life? As we open up the Ten Commandments and just sort of do an introduction today, I want to ask three questions of the Ten Commandments. Um, Here are the three questions. They hopefully will pop up on the screen. The first one is this. Who are they for? Second, what do they tell us? Thirdly, where do they lead? Who are they for? What do they tell us? Where do the Ten Commandments lead? So firstly, question one, who are they for? Now, this is perhaps the most frequent, frequently overlooked, missed, ignored, or misunderstood key to the text, right? Here is the key. Grace comes before the law. Salvation comes before obedience. Grace comes before the law. It's crucial, right? You know, you could work out in intricate detail the meaning of each of the Ten Commandments, but if you get that kind of key idea wrong, it, you'll make a crushing mistake. We will make a spiritual train wreck of things if we get that first step wrong, right? You can make all the right calculations, right? But if the underlying assumptions are incorrect, it can be catastrophic. So 1983, Air Canada Flight 143 was on the ground, ready, being prepared for takeoff from Canada. The pilots sat there calculating how much fuel they're going to need for the flight, not too much to slow it down, not too little for obvious concert reasons. Um, they worked it out in kilograms. They handed it to the ground crew who started filling up the plane, but they filled it up on the basis of pounds, not kilograms. So Air, Flight Canada, Air Canada Flight 143 took off, 40,000 feet cruising at cruising altitude, and then bloop, became a glider. And they were miles and miles and miles from the nearest airfield. The calculations were perfect, down to the gram. The problem was that the basic assumption was completely wrong. And the assumption that most of us make when we come to the Ten Commandments is, if I live like this, God will accept me. This is how I get entry into God's people. This is how I will be acceptable and loved by God. And you know what? It's rubbish. And all you have to do to see that it's rubbish is to be able to count from one to three in order to see it, right? Chronology gives you the theology. So look with me at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. Verse 1, and God spoke all these uh, words, saying to, verse 2, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 3, what is it? It's the commandment. Verse 2 is about how God saved his people, right? Which comes first? Verse 2, thanks very much. God saving his people. In other words, it's not like, you know, this is what God requires of people so that he will accept them. It is what God gives to his already rescued, already saved people. If you know the story of the Bible up to this point, it's not as if God, you know, God's people are crying out to him, 
building pyramids in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt. You know, they're crying out, God save us, God save us. And so God sends down two stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments and says, right, I'll give you these for 12 months. If you do well enough, you know, then if it goes well, I'll hit Pharaoh with some plagues. I'll open the Red Sea and we'll all go out of Egypt. No, it's not like Israel's poised on the edge of the Red Sea, you know, with the might of the Egyptian army bearing down on Israel. And God parts the Red Sea and then stands there and says, yep, you're good, yep, you're good, yep, you're good. No, you coveted your, you know, your neighbour's donkey, you're out. Yep, you're good, yep, you're good. Uh, you are dishonouring to your parents three weeks ago, you're out. Yep, you're good. No, you stole chewing gum from on the run the other day, you're out. No, it's nothing like that. God parted the Red Sea, called his people through, and having rescued them from the the might of the Egyptian army, closing the Red Sea, he then brings them to the mountain, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, same place, and then he gives them these instructions. These are not entry requirements into the family of God and into the land of blessing. These form the basis of the code of conduct of how to live for those who are in. These are for God's rescued people. Grace comes before the law. Salvation comes before obedience. Grace comes before the law. If you don't know that little phrase, grace comes before the law, by the end of this series, then, well, I and the whole eldership have failed. Basically, grace comes before the law. They are for God's rescued people. But they're not just for the rescued, right? So if you come a few books ahead uh, into Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, it tells us that God gave his laws to one nation, Israel, so that the other nations would look on and see and think, wow, look at those laws, they are wonderful. Look at life lived like that. Those those Israelites, right? their, their culture and their society, it just works. What a blessed people. How good would it to be like have a God like the God of Israel? I'd love that. It's God, God giving his people the Ten Commandments is like building a display home. You kind of walk in and you have a look around. You go, I like that, I like that. And you go, yep, I'll have one of those things, right? God has built this wonderful display home. And the aim is that the nations would look at Israel, the one chosen nation, and say, I'd like to have that. I want to follow that God. These aren't just sensible instructions for Israel, right? As if Israel was some kind of weird, strange form of human being and these laws only applied to this strange group of human beings. These are God's wise rules for all human beings, for you, for me, for everyone. If you're human, here, Exodus chapter 20, is God's wisdom for you. It's God's law for Israel, but God's gift, his wisdom and blessing for the whole world. And, you know, it it is a huge and wonderful thing for God, the creator, to give us the best way to live. This is like, you know, we've got an AFL ground and we've got a football and God gives us the rules of the game and an umpire and then we can finally, we can enjoy it. Uh, We've got a piano, not sure what to do with a piano. God gives us piano lessons and Chopin sonatas. Or it's like we've got a whole lot of ingredients, right? And God sends us Jamie Oliver's 30-minute meals and six hours later, I've got something to eat. 
My point, right, this is God, our good and loving and beautiful creator, saying, I want you to know as humans made in my image how best to enjoy life in my world. This is how you do it. So the psalmist, Psalm 119, verse 32, he says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. This is what it means to live in his commands. These Who are they for? They're for God's rescued people. But they're also God's wisdom for every human being that he's made in his image. But we do need to be careful here, brothers and sisters. There is a sense that these Ten Commandments are for all people because God is the God who's made all people. And this is God's wisdom for everybody. If you're human, these apply to you. But verse 2, right, Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, explains that these laws were given in this way to a particular people at a particular time, uh, in a particular place, heading to a particular place. So verse 2 again, um, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. So in other words, right, these laws were given in this form to a former slave pyramid oppressed people sorry, pyramid-building oppressed people of Israel. We are not them. So we need to be a bit careful, right, before we you know, dump everything we find in the Bible onto ourselves as if it's written for us. We are not them. These are God's laws, right, for when God's people were gathered together as one nation, when the nation is the same as the people of God. It's not the same today. God's people today are scattered all among the nations of the world. And the New Testament, right, never encourages us to make the Ten Commandments the rule, the law of our countries. They're God's wisdom absolutely for all human beings, but they're not God's rules for all the nation states of the world. The truth is, though, right, that the commands that are contained in the New Testament are not radically different to the commands we find in the Ten Commandments. It's not like God says, well, in Old Testament times, you know, I was really big on adultery and idolatry and murder, but by the time the New Testament comes, he's discovered a whole bunch of new things he doesn't really like. No, God is the same. He is unchanging. The things that you find God saying no to in the New Testament, the moments where he says, you know, live this way, they are very much in line with God's law of the Old Testament and in particular the the, the Ten Commandments. So yes, we are in the same position in a sense that we are humans and God's ways remain wise, but we are in a different position because they're not our rule, they're not our law. You know, we are in a very similar position, though, in another way. When you read the New Testament, right, that bit in our Bibles that that follows the the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Gospels, the majority of it is is basically, the majority of the New Testament is basically filled with with these letters that um, various apostles have written to young churches filled with new followers of Jesus, helping them to know with increasing clarity what it means to live for Jesus and love like Jesus as we wait for his return. And pretty much all the letters of the New Testament follow the Exodus chapter 20 kind of pattern. Um, 
In most of the letters, the writer begins by reminding readers of how God rescued them, um, just like the Israelites, or Israelites, not based on what they did, but through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross in their place. And the second half of the letter is all about how to live in light of God's grace-fueled, mercy-rich rescue. So first half, Indicative. This is what God has done. We too were slaves, enslaved to our sinful and corrupt desires of our hearts that we were unable to break. And God, in his mercy, has set us free, not by splitting the Red Sea, but through Jesus' crimson blood shed for us on a tree. So we are like Israel in that way. We're not saved by the stuff we do. We're saved by God's amazing grace. Therefore, we follow him. So you take the book of Romans, for example, 16 chapters in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 through to 11 is all about how Jesus has died for us. He's died for Jews, he's died for Gentiles, he's died for everyone, and we're saved by faith in him. Romans chapter 12 through 16 is all about what it means to live as people defined by that. And the hinge verse is chapter 12 verse 1. In light of all that Jesus has done, all that, in light of God's salvation plan, Paul says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your lives as living sacrifices. I mean, do you see? Exactly the same as Exodus 20. God saves us, we serve him. Uh, grace, then the law. And it's not be good enough and God will accept you. That's not Christianity, and it will never, ever be that. God's law is not a ladder for us to climb up, but a way to live in light of his love so that we can run free and run fast, knowing the best way to avoid harm and to live well. Um, John Dixon, um, I shared this on Slack the other day. John Dixon, in his little book, A Doubter's Guide to the Ten Commandments, really worth getting, $16.99 at your local bookshop. I don't make any money out of this, by the way, um, but get your hands on it. He says this, right? Salvation is not reward for the good life, it is its inspiration. You're loved, now obey. This is the logic of biblical ethics. You're loved, now obey. Not obey and get some love. That doesn't work like that. Um, John, in his first letter, says this, we love because he first loved us. Grace before law, grace before law, grace before law, salvation before obedience. So who are the Ten Commandments for? Well, they were given to God's people Israel as a law to govern them. They are given for us as wisdom to guide. And like all the commands in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament commands, they're not given for us to get us right with God. They're to be lived out because we are right with God by grace. So that's who they're for. Secondly, what do they tell us? What do they tell us? Well, let's look at some detail together um, as we briefly work through verses 3 to 17. Now, over the coming 10 weeks, we're going to work through each of the Ten Commandments, you know, sort of in isolation. We're going to dig deep into that particular one. But I just want to paint a big picture for us this morning um, to get us a feel of, of what they tell us. Now, you'll notice, right, firstly, just before we get into the actual text, you'll notice that the commands are mainly negatives, right? You go, why? Why? Because we are free. 
We are free. They're in the negative because we are free. And you go, what? That doesn't sound right. Actually, right, the fact that they are in the negative, you know, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not mostly, tells us that we're basically free. To us, that sounds restrictive, but we are very free. So maybe when the sun comes out again this weekend and you go, let's go down to the park, you come to the park entrance, and what are you probably going to likely find? Some rules. You go to the swimming pool. One day, Adelaide Aquatic Centre will reopen. But one day, you know, you go to the pool, what are you going to find? Rules. And you get the park. No lighting fires, no camping, no dogs at the pool, no running, no nudity, no pashing beside the pool, no hot chips by the pool edge, no bombing, absolutely no bombing. Why do they have things in the negative? Because you are free to do whatever you like except those things. You know, so let's say you go to the park, right, when the sun comes out and a sign says this, you must smile. Happiness is mandatory. Football and frisbee must be played, right? In that case, you are not free and you're probably in North Korea, probably. You see, when you have a positive command like that, you must do this. You are not permitted to do anything except that thing. When you have a negative command, it means you are free to do whatever you like except that one thing. The Ten Commandments are largely negative because God has, God has set us free in his world. But he's told us what to avoid so that we don't harm ourselves and we don't harm other people. They also tell us, right, so they, they tell us that we're free They also tell us what God is like. This is what I love about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments just paint this beautiful picture of the nature and the character of God, the living God. They reveal God's character to us. So let's just whiz through, right, the the Ten Commandments and just see how good God, the picture that we're painted. Um, Verse 3, we're told, worship God alone. Why? Because he is the only one and true living God. Verse 4, we're told don't make, you know, graven images of God. You know, don't carve things, don't create things that you think, you know, picture God. So physically carved images or mentally carved images, we are not permitted to do. Why? Because we will never think of God as he truly is. We would never think up a God like the God we meet in the Bible. Uh, Verse 7, you know, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You know, don't misapply the name of God, basically. You know, in the name of Jesus, I want this. Amen. We are not permitted to apply God's name, um, um, you know, apply God's word to our plans like some sort of magic formula, like God is like a genie in the bottle. He is God, and we are not. Um, Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. And and it goes on. Don't try to work seven days because God designed you to need rest. Why? Because God is the fulfilment of all the restless longings of our souls. And therefore he designed us with an inbuilt, hardwired need for rest. And in him we find rest. And one day we will know that. Perfectly. Um, Verse 12, honour your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land uh, the Lord your God is going to give you. You know, here it is, obey proper authorities and especially the most fundamental unit of our society, family, because God has made a universe where authority and obedience are part of his good order. And that actually reflects God himself, right? 
You know, God the Son, Lord Jesus Christ, he loves to obey the Father. Rightly used, right? Authority and structure are really good. Um, Verse 13, you shall not murder. I mean, protect life from the womb to the tomb. Why? Because God is the author and the giver of life. Verse 14, um, you shall not commit adultery. Um, Be faithful in marriage. Why? Because God is utterly faithful to keep his covenant. His promises to protect and provide for his people, he is utterly faithful in that. God will always keep his word. Be faithful. Um, Verse 15, you shall not steal. Why? Don't steal. Because God is not tight-fisted. He is unbelievably generous. When the only thing that could pay for our sins to win us back to God was his precious son, God did not even withhold his precious son who willingly died for us. Don't steal because God is ridiculously generous. Um, Verse 16 You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. Don't tell lies against others because God is a God of truth. Um, Verse 17, the final one. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your your neighbour's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbour's. I mean, the word says here, don't covet, don't envy. What does this mean? final command tell us about God? Well, I think it tells us at least three things. The first two, he is sovereign and he is good. He is in control of what you have. He is good in what he gives you. He is good in what he doesn't give you. So don't covet, don't envy what other people have. Because that just suggests, right, that you and I don't believe that God is good and that God is sovereign, that he can be trusted in what he's given us. Trust him. But he also shows us one other thing, right? This commandment, more than any of the others, shows us that God is not just concerned about outward obedience as if we can just, you know, tick off a list, you know, tick, 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 done that one. God is actually really concerned about what's going on in our hearts. He's a God who cares about our motivations as much as he cares about our actions. Now, I hope you agree, right? This is a lovely picture of God. His character, his goodness, his sovereignty, his generosity. It's a wonderful, big picture portrait of who the living God is. But if you're anything like me, right, there are maybe one or two bits of God's law that I kind of sometimes go, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm wrestling with that. You know, and the internet, right, is awash with modern-day philosophers who, in their kind of great humility at least, have written alternative improvements on the Ten Commandments. Interestingly, um, some of them are recorded in, in John Dixon's book. Interestingly, most of them contain about like five of the original Ten Commandments, but then they sort of go off on their own sort of individual, very humble, other approaches, not really that humble. The truth is, right, whenever we come to read God's law, his instructions in the Bible. We will always find bits that we read and think, you know, I, I, wish, that, I wish that bit wasn't there. Oh, I would love to find a, a way around that one. I'm, I'm not sure that one really applies to us today. We all do it. But let me just ask you a question. Would you expect God's moral compass to match yours exactly? 
So let's say, just, let's just say, for the sake of argument, there really is a great creator God who knows everything, who sees everything, who is all-powerful. A real God like the God the Bible describes. And let's just say this God shares with us 10 foundational rules or instructions that describes what it means to, to love him and to love people. Would you expect that God's moral compass and ethical standards would be exactly 100% matching yours or mine? Would you expect that you and I, standing in our cultural setting, with our cultural prejudices, with our blind spots from our upbringing, would you expect us to be so wise, so moral, so perfect that we would get it perfectly right, that our hearts would just chime in with God, just perfectly match up with God and his moral compass? I think if we have even an ounce of humility and a little bit of self-awareness, we will recognise that there will always be things that we will not agree with about God's moral order. And the problem, the fault, is unlikely to be with God. The problem is more likely to be with me, my prejudices, myself. Every other day, right, it seems that the media runs a story on how the church is out of step with culture or that the church are completely on the wrong side of history. You know, it's time for the church to kind of get with the program. You know, no one, it seems, though, in mainstream media stops to ask whether the problem lies in culture, really. No, 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 no. The church needs to get in step. The church needs to get with the program. I hear it all the time. Here's the thing. There are, lots of, there are lots of areas, right, in our culture, in our society that are kind of quite close to the Bible. There are plenty of other areas, right, where there are massive divides. Um, for instance, family life and sexual ethics. And you know what? When it comes to family life and sexual ethics, there is not a great queue of other cultures from around the world saying, oh, wow, please tell us, you know, how to run our families. Please tell us how to do sex education because you guys seem to have nailed it. Please, they're not queuing up. I don't mean to be flippant. I don't mean to be sarcastic, but we are in a mess in our world where we've departed from God's good design and order for his world, from the Bible. And I think we should be a lot slower as human beings to jump to criticise the Bible when the results in our culture are pretty murky and messy. The truth is we will always find ourselves wrestling against certain bits of what God says. And the truth is where our culture departs from the Bible, people are suffering. We are fallen. We are finite. We are, we are God-ignoring type people. And therefore, it's no surprise to find that God is radically different from us. But we have to remember that God is good. And even though we will wrestle with some of his rules, instructions and commands, we've got to remember that he is for us and he is good. And he actually wants your good. He wants you to flourish. He's not, he's not a killjoy. He wants you to live. Like Jesus said, I've come that you might live and have life to the full what he wants. So who are they for? God's rescued and forgiven people. That's who they're for. What do they tell us? They actually tell us we're free. And they actually tell us that God is very, 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 very good. That's what they tell us. So thirdly, where do they lead us? Where do they lead us? Our final point. Well, they don't lead us somewhere, right? They actually lead us to a someone. 
All the Bible leads to and points to Jesus and therefore points to freedom. And the Ten Commandments are no different, right? I mean, you can, we, can abst- we can debate in abstract the, the merit of the Ten Commandments. You know, I doubt I've, I've convinced any of you, if you're watching online, you know, if you're sceptical, that, you know, if, you, if you're sceptical about, you know, God's Ten Commandments, you go, well, they're no better than Richard Dawkins' Ten Plus Four Commandments, you know, and stuff. You know, I, I doubt that I've convinced you. I know my limitations. But when you see God's law lived out, not in abstract, but lived out in person in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's wonderful. You see, literally, the the Ten Commandments are called the Ten Words, uh, the Decalogue. So Deca means ten, uh, Logos, Logos means word. And Jesus Christ is the word. He is the Logos. These words made flesh. And when you see how beautiful and courageous and faithful and full and good his life is, then you realise how good, right and honourable and how sensible and how wonderful the Ten Commandments are as a way of life. Jesus is the fulfilment of the law. He shows, he demonstrated, he, he fills up in his life what it looks like to live out the good law of God, to, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and the overflow of that to love your neighbour as yourself. He pulls it off perfectly. He fulfills the law. So there is a sense in which these Ten Commandments lead us to Christ because they paint a picture of Jesus Christ. But they should lead us somewhere else, actually, before we even go to Christ. They should actually lead us onto our knees. Especially remember how Jesus interpreted these commandments. So when Jesus comes into the world and he says, you know, and when he, and when he Jesus, comes to, you shall not commit adultery, Jesus says, yeah, you're actually guilty of that in your hearts if you look lustfully at somebody. When it comes to murder, he says, don't be so quick to say that you haven't done that. If you've hated someone or if you've been abusive to someone with your words, well, you've done the heart part of that command. We fail to keep God's law every day, every single one of us. That's the truth. We live in a way that is fundamentally at odds with God's law, but that's like, that's whatever. We live in a way that is fundamentally at odds with God who expresses his character in his law and to live in a way that is fundamentally at odds with God is a serious matter. When you and I ignore God's way, we are putting ourselves against God. We are offending him. You know, you might say, though, but, you know, like Simon, I'm I'm doing my best. And I mean, can you really imagine anyone living this out perfectly, never, you know, managing to break any one of the laws? And I would say, yeah, absolutely I can. And you can read about him. The life of Jesus Christ, every minute, of every second, of every day, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year of his life. He loved God and he loved people. He kept these laws perfectly without error. You often encounter people who say in conversation, you know, I can never be a Christian. I can never be a Christian. What they're kind of saying is I could could never be like Jesus. I I could never live like Jesus. I could never live the way he lived. Being a Christian is that, you know, being able to keep the Ten Commandments or be like Jesus, then it's just not for me. I'm not into that. I can never live like that. But that is to make a terrible assumption. 
That is to make the assumption that will actually lead to a spiritual plane crash. It is to assume that this is what you have to do to be like a Christian. You've got to be like Exodus chapter 20. This is the template for Christians to live up to. But let me be clear. Christianity is not for people who are very good at keeping the Ten Commandments. Christianity is for people who can't keep the Ten Commandments. And so turn to God for mercy and confess their sins to a mighty God. See, what I love, right, about Jesus, the the focus of Jesus' life was, was not living a perfect life. Yes, he does that, but that's not his focus. Jesus' aim when he came into the world was not to live out the Ten Commandments and say, this is what it looks like, everybody. He does that, but the focus of Jesus' life was the cross of Calvary, which we're about to celebrate when we break bread and drink from the cup, where he became a lawbreaker, where he was dragged outside of Jerusalem, nailed to a cross, executed, put to death. Why? For us. Before Jesus is an example to follow, Jesus is a saviour to trust. Jesus swaps places with us. He is punished as if he broke the law so that you and I who have broken the law can be forgiven, accepted and free. So don't make that mistake. Don't see the law as this unattainable goal. See the law as painting for you the picture of the character of Christ. See in the law our sinfulness reflected like a mirror. And when you see that, run afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has lived out the law perfectly in your place and offers you and me forgiveness. And when you do that, right, then you'll see, as many in Israel did, that this law of God is a blessing. God gave the law to Israel because he loved the people that he saved. God gives us commands because he loves you and me who he saved through the precious blood of Jesus. He, wants, he wanted Israel to know his character. He wanted them to live a good life. He gives us his word so that we would know his character and that we would live the good life. And he gives us his law for our joy and also for our neighbour's joy, that they would see how good it is to live in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and people would say, I want a bit of that. I want to know that God. As I close, remember, salvation is not reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for our Obedience. Grace comes before the law. Grace comes before the law. Jesus does not say, you know, keep my commandments and and then I'll love you. He says, let me wash your feet and now go and do likewise. As we're reminded in 1 John again, we love because he first loved us. And whoever loves, their, whoever loves God must also love their brother and sister. Grace comes before the law. Let's pray as we come this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your love for us, that while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. 
We praise you afresh this morning for your grace. We realise that none of us can live up to your standards, but we thank you that one from among us has lived up to your standards and has so therefore satisfied in his body, in his flesh, what was required to make us right with you. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live lives of perfection, but we trust in the one perfect person, Jesus, who lived a life of perfection and died for us. Lord, please help us by your spirit uh, to see your word and to see your instructions, your commands as good, not just for us, but also for the whole world. Father, help us uh, to keep trusting Jesus, to remember him as our saviour, and then to live for him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.